Welcome everyone to the Dynasty Movement podcast. My name is Lee Walker. You may know me from the server as friendly moderator Leroy. And tonight we are continuing our AMA series with one of the brightest, most forward-thinking minds in the fantasy football industry. So without further ado, I would like to welcome aboard the editor-in-chief at FanDuel, host of the Late Round podcast, author of the Late Round quarterback, three-time FSWA winner, and most importantly, a very close friend of mine, Mr. J.J. Zacharyson. J.J., how are you? What's up, man? You're, uh, you, you know, you're one of the few people who have hosted a show that probably didn't have to like look up how to say my last name just because we've been, we've been so tight for so long that you don't have to worry about that. It just comes with the territory. Um, yeah. I actually did have to tell you that uh, I did DM a not-to-be-named podcast host recently, and I had to let him know how to actually pronounce your last name. No, you're just you're doing the Lord's work for me out there, Lee. I'm here for you, big guy. <laughs> so, uh, what's going on with you? Anything new? Nothing new. Nothing new. Just getting ready for this draft. Uh, we're going to be doing a live stream on the FanDuel YouTube channel. Um, the day one and day two of the draft. So, lots of uh, you know. Hopefully, hopefully, we won't have to take too many pee breaks uh, throughout that. <laughs> um, so it'll be me, Jim Sonis, Brandon Gadula uh, on on the stream. Um, we also have, we'll have an, a, another, uh, person as well on there with us. Um, so I don't know if I can announce that yet though, but so I'll be quiet, but, um, so we'll have four of us on there talk, breaking everything down. I'm actually going to have, I'm going to be building my projections out this next week. Um, so I'll have live projections too, as guys get drafted and stuff. Nice, man. That sounds awesome. All right. Um, uh, well, before we get started, I do want to just thank you again for taking the time to come out of your very busy schedule and join us. Uh, just to talk some football, talk some shop. I know a lot of the guys here are looking forward to it and uh, especially to get such a quote-unquote big fish in the industry out here. So, again, thank you for joining. First. All right, well, I'm just going to get into it here. Uh, it could be a little uh, all over the place, but we're just going to roll through some of these questions. Feel free to just expand as much or as little as you want on any of them. And, uh, yeah, let's get it, War Daddy. Do it. All right. If there was a one singular tip, late taking a late round quarterback, you could give for redraft this year. What would it be? And there's kind of a ridiculous tacked on comment after this. And why is it that? And why is that to draft Jeff Wilson Jr.? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think that's fair. I think that's a fair a fair thing to say, uh, just just given given his ADP right now. Uh, but I'll go I'll go more strategic with this answer. Um, I, I think you know this is something I try to remind people every year because as you look at ADP, as you look at uh, spe- specifically where wide receivers are being drafted, it's really easy to fall into the trap of thinking and knowing that wide receiver is deep. And I know a lot of people listening to this will say wide receiver is deep. You know, you can get like Cortland Sutton fairly late at this point, you know, fairly late within context of where he was going, let's say last year before he got hurt. Um, you know, the wide receiver position is deep, um, but there's been lots and lots of studies that have been done on best ball in particular, if you're playing in best ball leagues, showing a lot of value in more zero RB type lineups. Now I'm not saying uh, go full blown zero RB necessarily. You know, my typical approach, if you're playing like a three wide receiver, flex, full PPR, two running back type league, 
I generally am going with like a modified zero RB approach where I'm getting a, a running back in the first, maybe second, and just filling out wide receiver um, and then kind of throwing darts uh, at the running back position in the, in the middle rounds. Um, I've done research too that shows that, yes, you can get usable pieces at wide receiver uh, in those middle rounds, middle being like in the fifth through 10th. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, if you're trying to find a true difference maker, um, they're generally being drafted early at a much higher rate than running backs are running backs um, and, and not not handcuff running backs either. Just running backs in general, you should be targeting running backs from more ambiguous backfields. Uh, but running backs, uh, you'll, you'll find a, a much better hit rate in terms of guys who are giving you a difference making season in the middle rounds than you will at wide receiver. That's just what historical data tells us. So understand the urge to just go like RB times five to start, you know, the first five rounds of your draft. Some leagues, it might be worthwhile. You know, if you're in a standard league and you're starting a lot of running backs, you know, I, it makes more sense to go running back heavy. I'm speaking more to just general PPR leagues where you can flex someone. It's really easy to think that the wide receiver position is deep. It is deep on paper, but every single year as things sort of resolve, you can see, uh, you know, the wide receiver position wasn't as strong as you initially thought. Understandable. Now, in this modified RB approach that you're you're talking about, after you nail that one stud RB, are there any particular guys that you would be targeting? Any maybe a Jeff Wilson Jr. perhaps, or anyone else that you would be looking to add there? So I generally just look at. So I did this study last season, like I said, where um, you know I, I spot I, it was called finding a breakout running backs or something like that, or how to how to find breakout running backs. And I basically plotted uh, average draft position versus postseason result. And so, you know, in the on the X axis, you have, uh, you know, where these guys were being drafted, the Y axis, you have how many points that player actually scored. And then you get a trend line. And from that trend line, you essentially get expectations. So based on this ADP, this is what we would expect this running back to score. And that's just based on, on historical, you know, uh, performance. And so, uh, what I found with that was that of the players who outperformed ADP by 100 or more points, there was sort of this criteria uh, that I followed to, to spot these breakout running backs. One of them being uh, that they were part of these ambiguous backfields where uh, the, the top running back in that backfield was on average drafted at the end of round five. So essentially, you know, from there you can say, well, these guys aren't handcuffs typically. So you're not drafting true backups, which, you know, to, to the point about Jeff Wilson, you know, the 49ers backfield is an ambiguous backfield. We don't know what's going on there unless they do something in the draft. We don't know what's really going on there, how they're going to split up carries, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the right kind of backfield to target. And, you know, I sent a tweet out whenever Giovanni Bernard signed with Tampa Bay. I'm not someone who's actively, especially I'm not, I'm not saying I'm going after Giovanni Bernard. I'm not someone who's actively necessarily going after the Tampa Bay backfield, but realistically, you know, if it, you know, someone like Gio Bernard could easily just end up being the LaShawn McCoy of last year where he gets like 15 targets the whole season and he's not very relevant throughout the year. And maybe he's a healthy scratch at times. Right. Um, and so as a result of that, you know, we are going to project out. No one on the Buccaneers is going to project out to look very good. Um, but we also think that we know a lot more than we actually do at this point. Um, and so, you know, a team like the Buccaneers where there's a lot of ambiguity Leonard Fournette's ADP drops a lot and he's all of a sudden becomes, you know, ends up in that dart throw territory, then he makes sense because we know the upsides there. And if he does emerge, then we know he's in the right kind of offense. So that's sort of the approach. I mean, that's the general zero RB approach too. And then the other thing too, is that you should be looking at pass catchers. A lot of times these pass catchers are elevated um, into getting a, a bigger role and a more, a bigger early down role in their offenses 
uh, when we don't project that at the beginning of the season. So, uh, you know, overall, it's these ambiguous backfields, these pass catchers, and they're not generally handcuffs. Sound logic. All right. What have you said on Twitter this offseason that has caused the most arguments from people? What has rustled some people's jimmies for you? I would say everything. Uh, I feel like I don't say anything <laughs> everything. That, that doesn't get, yeah, that doesn't get some sort of backlash. I mean, even today I sent a tweet out. It said Chase Edmonds career goal line rushes one because he's had one goal line rush in his three, three year NFL career. Even that gets people angry uh, in, in some way, but you just learn to, to deal with that. Um, I mean, I, I think that anytime, you know, anytime I post like rankings and stuff, um, quick rankings without much commentary, which is, I love to do to, to put that commentary and have that added commentary uh, because I like to give that context for people, you know, if they're questioning why I have rankings the way I have them. Uh, but I did sort of make the mistake of, I wouldn't say mistake because like it's whatever. It doesn't really matter. Uh, I tweeted out my top 10 rookie wide receivers uh, from a dynasty standpoint. Um, and Terrace Marshall was my wide receiver three and he still is my wide receiver three. Um, and that, that got people pretty mad online. I would say that's probably the one thing so far this year that's, that's gotten people pissed off the most. It's not even a wide receiver too, like he should be either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that kind of comes with, the, I mean, you have so many followers, honestly, at this point, it's going to be hard to make everyone happy. For sure. All right. Are there any other podcasts or content creators out there who can match your concise stat-based and process-driven approach to fantasy football? Look, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people, right? Like, like I'm, I'm far from the best data analyst in the game and in, in the fantasy football, f- fantasy football industry, far from it. There's a lot of people doing really, really good data work. What I try to do and what I pride myself on is trying to be a good communicator of that data um, and try to really bridge the gap between some fairly complex stuff that people are creating and doing that I can't create and do. Um, but trying to understand that well and then kind of dumbing it down and making it consumable for people. Um, so, you know, the, the concise part though, um, you know, that really isn't, that, that's more so, you know, on the back end. that's all like editing, you know, when people listen to the late round podcast, they see the end result. Um, but you know, I'm re saying things making sure that I, you know, I'm cutting things out I'm making sure that it is concise, uh, to sort of differentiate it and allow people to just get what they need to get out of that show, as opposed to just sitting down for, two hours and listening to people go back and forth, which is fine. You know, there's def, I mean, there's a reason why those types of podcasts work. Um, but at the same time, I knew that, you know, there seemed to be a, a need for the shorter, more concise podcast. So like the, the being, the, you know, the, the being concise thing, um, you know, I, I, I think that's more just like the, the work that goes on behind the scenes with the late round podcast. So a lot of people could do that. I will say though, of all content creators, um, you know, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this are, are already following him, but Rich Rebar is my guy, man. Um, you know, he is he is the the person who I you guys know him on Twitter probably at Lord Reeves. Uh, he uh, does work at Sharp Football Analysis, but he's my sounding board. I mean, throughout the draft process, throughout whatever you know, throughout the regular season, he's the guy that I'm going to. Other than you, Lee, of course. I was about uh, to say that's a little insulting. Yeah, of course. He's the guy that I'm going to, you know, where I'm, I'm sort of like pitching these high level ideas to him before they become a piece of content because he knows the space really well. He's been a part of the space, all of that. And we just go back and forth with this kind of stuff. And he, he to me is, is probably the best analyst in the game period. Like I, I, he's very, very good at what he does. 
Um, and, and so, you know, I think that if like he, he could easily be doing, you know, a show like that, he just, he, he rambles a little bit more than I do, but he's a, he's, he's a really, really good analyst. Yeah. He's awesome. I was actually listening to him on, I believe it was on the road to underworld show. I think it was this week, but yeah, to echo what you're saying, he, he truly is awesome. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you actually brought up the late round podcast because a follow-up question was, would you consider doing any additional LRP episodes during the week? maybe even on an inconsistent basis at all. The the problem with it is that like, so like the way that I've like framed the show and sort of like branded the show is that, you know, instead of just doing like AFC North breakdown, AFC South breakdown and having these like, you know, wide receiver rankings, one through 10 breakdown and, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, I just chose to go down the path of like picking these very specific topics and, my vision all along with the late round podcast was sort of to make each show like a Ted talk uh, where you're getting some very specific topic and digging in uh, more than, than anyone's dug into that topic per se, and you're becoming an expert on it. And so, you know, I'll do an entire episode on, you know, uh, BMI at wide receiver, right. Or I'll do an entire episode on uh, handcuffing running backs and whether or not that's a realistic strategy. And the problem with, you know, those are more of the off-season episodes. The in-season episodes are very much, you know, waiver wire driven and buy sell driven and all that kind of stuff. Sure, um, sure. And, but, but I'm also doing them four times a week in season. So I don't think I can really take on that much more in season. Uh, but the out of season stuff, like it's crazy because the, the early, so the way that the schedule and cadence is, is that I do the one show earlier, early in the week and then I have the mailbag show every Friday. One show earlier in the week, it takes like three times as much time to do those shows now typically than what I do in season, just because, you know, the topics are a little bit more complex. There's a lot more research involved in order to do those shows. Um, so I don't think I would be able to like, number one, come up with enough ideas to do more shows during the off season. Uh, but the number two is just a lot of time. You know, I, I say this to people all the time, but I know that the end product is usually like 15 to 20 minutes for each episode. But realistically, it takes four or five times the amount of time to do an episode of the late round podcast than even even more potentially than it does to just sit down with like Denny and do an episode of Living the Stream. Oh, that's an hour, right? Um, just because of the way that it's researched and the way that I think through things and all that kind of stuff. I, I I love it. I love it that way. And I think that's why people have resonated with it. Uh, You know, some people hate it. Some people hate the format. That's cool. Um, it's not gonna be for everyone, but of the people who, who dig it, um, I think that's the reason why is that it, it has that like sort of differentiated edge to it that I don't think that, you know, other shows are necessarily doing. No, I would agree. You've kind of carved out like a nice little niche in the market there. Like it, it really works. Um, get the information fast, quick, you know, it's nice. Um, now that dual threat QBs have taken the fantasy world by storm and generally the market is considerably more efficient at QB than in years past. Do you think it's fair to say that QB score the most points? <laughs> so you have to pick a good one. <laughs> so, I mean, look, obviously that the, you know, the, the raw number of points that a quarterback scores is irrelevant until you're looking at it within the context of the position. Right. So if, uh, sure. you know, it's, it's the, the classic value-based drafting, which has plenty of flaws, but the idea around value-based drafting is not wrong where, uh, you know, you're taking a player and, and comparing him to his position as opposed to comparing him to other positions, the amount of points that he scores. But I will say this about quarterback, the late round quarterback. I wrote the ebook back in like 2012. Um, that's when it published. Yeah. And that thing. yeah, and it's terrible. No one should buy it now. It's legitimately <laughs> awful. Like it's it's terrible analysis. But back then, you know, the the twelfth quarterback was being drafted in round eight, 
um, last season, the sixth quarterback was being drafted in round eight. That was like Russell Wilson. And so, uh, you know, if, if the QB 12 was considered late back then, then we should have no problem drafting, you know, a, a, a middle, a mid QB one if his ADP really is round eight, round nine, or round 10. At the end of the day, the, the late round quarterback is about, you know, it's not a game of chicken. It's about a game of value. And so, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm certainly not someone who, has to absolutely wait in every single draft. Um, you know, I'm not, not, I don't need to just like live up to my name because you know, the, the idea of the later on quarterback is not to just wait and wait and wait. So, you know, what's interesting right now with the quarterback position in fantasy football is as the question noted, there's a lot of dual threat passers. And last season was the first time in my career in analyzing this stuff that I'd ever seen ADP look so efficient. And what I mean by that is people finally woke up and they realize that the rushing component to fantasy football for quarterbacks is insanely important. And if you look down, you know, the top eight or nine quarterbacks last year in terms of ADP, they all had that rushing component. It was like up until Josh Allen. That's where that tear break was. And so last season on my podcast, I actually said like, this is, this is happening this year. Like this is more of a middle round quarterback type season because we're seeing a more efficient market. And we're seeing that again this year, we're going to see an efficient market. Now, is that going to go on forever? Are we now in this like middle round QB space? The answer to that is no, because eventually we're going to get to a point where the supply, you know, equals the demand where, uh, you know, we have 12, 13 quarterbacks who are dual threat passers who all have that QB one QB two upside. And when that happens, then all of a sudden the guys who have that edge right now don't have that same edge. Because if you're, if you're in a 10 or 12 team league and there are 13 quarterbacks who have that, that dual threat ability, then all of a sudden, you know, the quarterback position, those guys, you know, the Josh Allens of the world aren't nearly as valuable because they're not giving you an edge over other teams in your league. So what's interesting too, is this is all happening this season in particular, where in this season, this is the year where we have a lot of dual threat passers entering the league, whether, you know, even, even Trevor Lawrence, right? Trevor Lawrence is going to have some mobility uh, in the NFL. He's going to be able to do something. Yeah. And and you'll get, you'll get Trey Lance, you get Justin Fields, um, so you're, we're, we're entering this, this, uh, draft with these dual threat passers where, you know, I don't think it's going to happen overnight. You know, I don't think it's going to happen in 2021 where, you know, these guys are extremely, uh, fantasy relevant, you know, from a, like a redraft perspective or like a 2021 perspective. But what I do think is going to happen is enough of an influx is going to ha- is going to come in, especially because the NFL has morphed into like more of a college game, right? So the, these college quarterbacks, uh, who are dual threat and have that ability, they're in higher demand in the NFL level now. And so, um, so I, I think that in a year or two, uh, you know, whether we're talking 2022, 2023, we're going to be in a position where there are going to be enough quarterbacks where you could generally wait forever in a standard league uh, to get that guy and wait and still have that kind of upside. So it's almost like a middle round QB bubble. Yeah, that's exactly how I would think of it. You know, like last year, I kind of felt the same way. I had a lot of Josh Allen. Um, and then this year, you know, you can you can find, you know, depending on like where Jalen Hurts falls and redraft and stuff, like you can make the argument that you know, he he's someone that definitely has that upside given what he can do with his legs. But um, until right. that point, I, I think you're right. That's, that's a good way to put it. Is that sort of this middle round QB bubble still not be targeting guys in like the third and fourth round of my redraft leagues. But I think once you get into like round six plus where the opportunity cost isn't nearly as high, it's a lot easier to go after those guys this year. Because here's the thing too, Lee, is that with the quarterback position, it's historically 
If you were to chart uh, ADP versus postseason result of top 12 quarterbacks from 2010 to 2019, the R squared value, so the correlation between where these quarterbacks were being drafted and where they ended up within the quarterback rankings among top 12 quarter among top 12 quarterbacks in ADP. Hopefully that makes sense. So you have the the top 12 quarterbacks in ADP, and then here's how they finished. Okay, right. Absolutely zero correlation between those years. The the R squared is non-existent, and so. What that means is that the QB 12 essentially had just as good of a chance to finish as the QB one in fantasy football as the QB one did that was being drafted. And so, um, you know, the reason for that is because quarterback numbers and the way that these guys score points in fantasy, there's a lot of regression that occurs. There's a, a ton of regression because the guys who really blow up one year, they're generally blowing up because they have these like insane touchdown rate seasons. Your boy, Aaron Rodgers last year, right? He had, the, he had he had the second highest touchdown rate in NFL history. That's not going to be repeated year over year. But the difference is that unlike other years where he would have been the QB one, you know, in 2016 or something, but unlike other years, we now have these quarterbacks that have a legit, legit rushing component while also mm-hmm. having legit arms. And the rushing component is what's going to give these guys a floor year over year. So Josh Allen, maybe he regresses a little bit through the air next season. But he's not going to regress on the ground. He's now scored eight, nine, and eight rushing touchdowns in his three years in the NFL. He's going to continue to do that more than likely. So you have that baseline that we didn't have before, uh, which is why things are a little bit different. Makes sense. And you mentioned Jalen Hurts earlier. I imagine he's probably going to be a pretty uh, sought-after commodity for a lot of people in redraft teams, unless there's so much hype building that his ADP just you know blows up. But are there any other QBs that you would be like potentially targeting in that middle to I guess late you know, round yeah. range. Yeah. So I would, what I would be doing is looking at all the dual threat passers, taking the guy at the lowest point in the, in that tier of the dual threat guys. And that would be my main target. I think Jalen hurts would end up being that guy. So what I think is going to end up happening in, in redraft leagues, there's going to be some fluctuation within tiers. Right. And with it, so like, you know, I could, I could imagine a world where Russell Wilson has a, a fairly good value um, you know, fairly good ADP from a value standpoint, because he's going to be one of the lower guys in that tier that you could go after. So if I'm, if I'm going after like a mid to late round guy, maybe a Russell Wilson fits the bill. Um, you know, Jalen hurts would fit the bill. If I'm going late, late, I still think Ryan Tannehill is undervalued. Uh, you know, Tannehill is someone who does, does give you that rushing juice. We've seen him have stretches, you know, when he came, when he became starter a couple years ago, he was the QB two in fantasy football from week seven through week 16. Um, and then last year he was fine, totally usable. And then now this season, that offense uh, might, you know, that team in general might not be as strong. Maybe they have to lean on him a little bit more. Um, so I, I think Tannehill makes sense. And if Joe Burrow wasn't dealing with that injury, I would be in on Burrow because he has a lot of touchdown regression positively that's going to hit you know, good situation around him with the pass catchers and, and obviously Joe Mixon back there and the offensive line should be bolstered, but it's too early to tell with with uh, with Burrow given that injury. Yeah, I'm kind of scared he's going to wind up starting the season on the pup, but um, yep. Yep. going back to uh, Tannehill for just one second, I know we're kind of getting carried away on this question, but does the loss of Johnny Smith and Corey Davis affect anything there at all? Or do you think they'll just, you know, throw it, get somebody in the draft and it'll be wheels up for Tannehill? How do you feel about that? 
I, I hope that they end up getting a reliable wide receiver in the draft. By, by reliable, I mean someone who's just like not very raw. Like I would love for them to get like a, an Elijah Moore or something, someone who you know can play the slot. You know, allow AJ Brown to just do his thing, and I would feel less bad. I still, I still am like a semi Anthony Ferkser truther. I think he's fine. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't think Janu is like this that big of a replacement. I don't think Corey Davis is that massive of a, of a replacement from a real football standpoint. Um, but you know, hopefully they'll be able to, to build off a, a big solid draft. You know, if they don't, if they don't do anything early at pass catcher, I'd be surprised, but if they don't, um, then, you know, I'd probably be a little bit more off Tannehill. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, next question. Is this the year for JJ Ortega Whiteside or is he a letdown to JJ's everywhere? And, you know, I never shy away from my misses, uh, just so everyone knows <laughs> I, I screwed up that 2019 class so bad, man. Uh, I was so bad at evaluating. I, I, it was a weird class, to be fair. Was and, well, the problem with that class too is that there weren't many like analytical darlings. The, the one analytical darling was Nikhil Harry, and then um, please no. Oh, it was just a it was just a really tough class to evaluate. And then some of these guys, like Terry McLaurin, had a pretty pretty rough analytical profile. But then, you know, I I've only been prospecting for probably like five or six years, and every year I'm learning something and doing something a little bit different and trying to get better. Um, and, and I think like after that season, I had sort of a turning point with the way that I'm evaluating these guys in, in that I'm giving them a lot more individualized context than I used to, you know, Terry McLaurin's a great example where like, I didn't factor in, you know, the, the Ohio state team in general and their offense enough yep. into my evaluation. Cause it like, even you look back like Michael Thomas, even it was a, a very difficult evaluation, just given the way that that offense just operated and worked. Um, and so, you know, not that I would have been on Terry McLaurin. I, I actually think in the, at the end of the day, I wasn't even, you know, from a, a post-draft ranking standpoint because of his draft capital, because he's a, a third round pick. I wasn't even that far off of McLaurin, but pre-draft I was, you know, crapping on McLaurin in a way because his, his, uh, stat score in my model didn't look very good and he just didn't look great. And then meanwhile, Mel Kuyper's mocking him in the first round and I'm sitting there like, what is Mel Kuyper doing? And then he gets the last laugh. But he, I, I will say this with Mel Kuyper. I don't think he's going to get the last laugh with a 2-2 at will. Oh, what a terrible... Oh, I don't even know <laughs> that. It's disgusting. Um, why? Well, I know you're a, a best ball um, a fan and you play in a number of those leagues. Do you feel like they should be the standard at this point or standard dynasty league at this point? Or are you still kind of in favor of like the traditional format? I mean, I think that anyone that's in this Discord is a, a semi dynasty degenerate. Uh, no offense there's to no anyone. Se- here. There's no semi about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like that's just the way it is. Right. So, um, you know, as a result of that, you're going to be playing more volume. Uh, you know, you want to join more leagues. I'm in the same boat. Right. Um, and as a result, I'm basically only joining, uh, I'm only joining best ball league dynasty leagues moving forward, basically, because I, I don't have time to do the management side, but if you're only playing like one to three, one to five dynasty leagues, I would probably be totally cool slash would prefer to do the, the, you know, in season management, uh, type, you know, the more, the more traditional league. Um, I think it's fun. I think that you get the camaraderie more, there's more transactions, you know, all of that. I, that, that's the aspect of dynasty. I still love, you know, it's not, to me, it's not just about drafting, sitting put and, you know, having trades throughout the off season and not doing as much in season. Um, I, I still enjoy, you know, you know, watching scores and, and keeping track of things throughout the season. Absolutely. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I actually don't know the answer to this. I feel like I should. But how, how did you get into fantasy football 
And what was your what was your journey to becoming one of the biggest names in fantasy football? Oh, I thank you for saying that. I don't think that's the case, but uh, I I would oh, say bro. so. <laughs> I, I, I got into fantasy. Um, I was probably in like I mean I started playing probably in middle school, so it was a really long time ago. Um, and then I started the league that actually you're in, Lee, uh, the the home league. Um, right. where, so for, for anyone listening, you know, Lee and I didn't go to the same high school we met in, in college. Um, but I, I started a league with my high school buddies and the league is still going on. What is it like our 17th year or something coming up? Yeah. Something like I think that? I've been around for maybe like 10 ish, but yeah, you guys were yeah. around for a while before I got involved. I'm, I'm super cursed in that league for the record. It's just, oh it's God. not great. Here we go. Lee, Lee is the opposite. Lee, Lee's got Lee's, but the, the dynasty league is a little bit different for us. Oh, whoa, um, whoa, 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 whoa! All right, I didn't want to have to bring this up. Are we going to talk about bad beats? What? The With the, yeah. Oh yeah, you got it. You should tell the bad beat home league story because it's one of the most insane things that that's ever happened. Okay, so this was. I'm thinking it might be even four years ago at this point. I had a stat team that year. I think I was like twelve and one, and in the last week of the. Fantasy regular season, I lost both AJ Green and Melvin Gordon to injury. I was literally picking up Kenneth freaking Farrow to go. Oh, I know. I don't know if we'll, I take it back. I don't know if it was that year. It wasn't because I lost that year. I take it back. It was against Gill, championship game. I lost a game because Kyle Rudolph dropped a 30 burger on me with a helmet yeah. touchdown. Freaking he was Kyle so- Rudolph. He had to have been started in like 3% of ESPN leagues at that point. But to be fair, guys, Lee's saying that he beat me in the semifinals because Drew Brees couldn't post seven fantasy points against him in the, in the semis. So let's not talk about bad beats. (laughs) Okay. Fair, fair. And this past year, the guy who beat me with the Kyle Rudolph, Hail Mary touchdown, (laughs) playing against him again. And I lose because of the, the, the Hail Murray touchdown of freaking Deandre Hopkins. Same guy. Yeah, it's true. Um, so anyway, so the 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 fantasy Sorry. football journey started for me through that league. Like I clearly was taking it more seriously than some of the other guys. We we booted some guys from that league at times because they would like weren't nearly as like into it and as hardcore as we are now. It's fair, you know, you get a mix of like people who are fairly casual. Most people are pretty into it though. Um, but regardless, so I, I really started with that. And then uh, after I graduated from school, uh, I moved out to Cincinnati, as as Lee knows. Lee visited me there a couple times. Uh, vi- moved out to Cincinnati, um, and I was working a, a marketing job that I really didn't like. And so one day, I'm just like, I, I can't do this for the rest of my life. So I started to like kind of jot down what I like was passionate about, what I what I really like doing. One of those things was fantasy football, and I started to just jot down some like random ideas about fantasy football. I had written like one fantasy football article when I was in college, just on a whim, um, and it was trash, like really, really bad. I mean, it was like a, I did had never had no writing experience whatsoever, um, and so I just you know, but from there, I every night I just started like working on this ebook, the late round quarterback ebook, where I I had like a background in graphic and web design, and I still do, but not not to the same degree it was back then. And, uh, I, I wrote this ebook where I was kind of bringing together my passions, which was like the design stuff. So I was like designing the ebook, um, you know, the fantasy football stuff. So I was researching this stuff for fantasy football and, and putting this book together. <clears throat> and then I, uh, ended up, you know, it became the late round quarterback, the ebook, because at the time this was in 2011 into 2012, 
that season was the season where we saw really, really insane quarterback numbers, uh, where we saw uh, an almost lockout happen. And that was the best comp I had for what happened this past year, too. A lot of a lot of quarterbacks went ham. Like Eli Manning, he had his best statistical year. Uh, Matthew Stafford went nuts. Cam Newton went nuts. And so um, the next season, you had five quarterbacks having ADP of the second round or better. Um, and I saw that and I was like, this doesn't make any sense. So I ended up publishing the ebook at that time. And then it just so happened that not only was there the, the typical variance that we would see at the quarterback position, not only did that happen in 2012, but then you were introduced RG three, Andrew Luck and Russell Wilson into the league. And so it was very clear that going with a late round quarterback strategy was the way to go in 2012. And that, you know, it's just one of those things. It's the way that I view fantasy football is that we should not be so reactionary to what happened the previous season. Cause there's just a lot of variance. This is just what happens. Um, and so, you know, from there, I, uh, after the first like six months of doing some writing on my blog on lateroundqb.com, I, uh, got hit up by Evan Silva. Uh, he called me and, you know, at that time now I'm, I'm good friends with Silva, but like back then it was like, oh man, I'm going to call from Evan Silva right now. Um, and so I wrote a quarterback series on Roto world. Um, that really helped me out. And then Mike clay, when he was with PFF, he had me, uh, you know, go on to the PFF team. I wrote like three articles there. And then, uh, after that, a few months after that, uh, I got the call from number fire and I got a full-time job with number fire about a year after, uh, publishing my ebook. And I've been there since So number fire, a uh, handful of years ago was then, by FanDuel. Um, and so I was part of a startup doing the startup thing. Uh, and now I'm a FanDuel employee and I've been there since. There you have it. Was your number just like posted on the site for Silva to get? Like, how did he call you? Uh, he DM me, I think. Uh, okay. He just like hit me up and he was like, yo, what's your number? And then I, I still remember like where I was when he called me and stuff. Cause I was like, I mean, I was anxious. I was super anxious about like oh, yeah. talking to sure. him because I mean, he's still a Titan, but like at the time, you know, he especially was, you know, there wasn't as many people and it wasn't as competitive of a space as it is now uh, to be that analyst. So he was like the analyst, right? That was, he was the top of Roto World. And so, you know, he hit me up looking back. It's hilarious because I, I know Silva well now and I would feel the opposite if he just hit me up like that. But, <laughs> uh, you know, back then it was very, very, uh, you know, there's a lot of anxiety. Oh, yeah. I mean, understandable, man. That's, that was huge. Uh, moving on. Uh, with regard to startups, what top 100 players do you anticipate to bust slash disappoint relative to their ADP next year? Yeah. So, you know, I, I thought about this one a little bit, um, because I think it's always tougher to talk about the bus as opposed to talking about the, the guys who are going to rise. Um, and you know, the main reason for that is because people just like, you know, negativity bias is a very real thing. People get way more angry whenever you talk negative about about one of their players, whatever. I, I'm gonna do. You know, this was my boy last year, um, and it's tough to say. I I just traded him in our league, Lee, our dynasty league. I know um, who it is, but it's James Robinson. Yeah, it had to be. So the, the main, the main reason for me at this point, I've kind of gone through this journey of like, at the end of the season, I was like, yeah, I think he's valued properly. And then literally like every day I'm like, no, nah, he's overrated. And then he's like a little bit more overrated, a little bit more overrated. And then you like read between the lines with what the, what the Jags have been doing throughout the off season. They've had a lot of running back visits. Um, and it makes sense because their running back depth chart is not strong. They did add Carlos Hyde. Um, and you know, Still who not knows? strong. Yeah, right. I mean, who knows? Maybe even Carlos Hyde could steal some touches like he's done over the last couple of years. But 
you know, regardless, I think that, that, you know, there's a lot of question marks around James uh, Robinson's profile. Um, I loved him as a prospect. I like him as a player. If I were running the Jags, I would, I would ride James Robinson because I, that's the way that I, you know, that's my running back philosophy, but you you have to, you have to at least recognize that there's a new regime there. Um, And so we don't know exactly how they're going to feel about Robinson as a UDFA. Um, And then at the same time, you know, uh, he last season was pacing before he got hurt to have by far the highest running back rush share that we've basically ever seen, uh, at least so in recent history. Um, and what that tells me is that that's not going to happen again. You know, it's that that kind of market share in the backfield is just not easy to sustain year over year. Um, and then on top of that, you know, I, I could see a scenario where, of course, this running back class has these three studs, right? And I don't think they're going to go out and draft a Trey Sermon even, right? Because I think, I think Trey Sermon's sort of a redundant asset to James Robinson. Um, but what I could see them doing is getting someone like a Kenneth Gainwell, right? Or someone like that, where you get the satellite back, you get the guy who can catch passes out of the backfield. That would hurt James Robinson's value quite a bit. Um, it's just a safer, it's it's a safer bet given all these question marks uh, in, in his situation. And the fact that he's a UDFA, it's a safer bet to sell him rather than buy him right now. Um, you know, I'm, of course it could go the opposite direction, but I think it's logical to think that he's more of a sell. Yeah, that makes sense. It seems like no matter who they bring in, he's going to take at least some kind of minor, minor bump. And then if it's especially, I think like if it's some kind of like passing specialist, then he might be just capped to like you know one two down work and maybe some goal line looks. Hmm. Uh, conversely, which top one hundred players do you anticipate to far outperform their ADP next year? So I I don't know about next year for one of my answers, so I won't say that. But I'll, I'll say this: I I am I typically don't buy running backs, but I think when I when we talk running backs, it's the most valuable information to sort of get because it's a hard position to know when to buy and sell in dynasty. Wide receivers a little bit easier because there's you know running backs can just fall off that cliff right and they're just done. Whereas wide receivers generally a a slow burn you know until they're officially done. Uh, so you can grab some value out of them, but. Running back that I'm buying right now is Joe Mixon. Um, I, I know, I, I know that it's tough for people to hear that because uh, he's probably burned them. But uh, last season, before he got hurt, you know, he started off the season not seeing that great of a target share for the first couple of games. By by the time he got hurt in that Colts game, uh, he was averaging a prorated target share, or he would have had a prorated target share for the season over 12, percent which is great. That's that's a great target share. That's Miles Sanders esque that that kind of target share. Um, then you look at the situation around him. Hopefully, Cincinnati improves the offensive line. Uh, the weapons are there. Uh, maybe they've improved uh, the the weapons as well. You know, you got to hope that Joe Burrow's healthy again. Going back to that, but the situation is right for Mixon, and they get rid of Giovanni Bernard. Um, you know, which historically there was, there's there's been four games that Gio Bernard has missed. Um, you know, since uh, Joe Mixon joined the Bengals, which not a big sample size, not something to draw like crazy conclusions off of. But in those four games, uh, Joe Mixon's lowest target share in those games was 12 and a half percent. He uh, was averaging like 19 PPR points per game in, the, in that split. Um, and we saw, you know, we've seen Gio Bernard take away volume through the air from Mixon uh, throughout his career so far. He's still young. You know, generally, I'm not buying running backs at this age, or at, at this point in their career. I shouldn't say age because Mixon entered the league at like 13 years old. But, uh, you know, I, I still think that he's in a good spot to give you, you know, three more years of production. Um, and he's he's reasonably priced right now. So is it Joe Mixon season? 
I think it's Joe Mixon season. I did. All right. I'm on board. Uh, actually, you mentioned Gio getting cut. So with regard to Travion Williams and or Samaj P. Run, any thoughts on either of those guys as a potential, you know, deeper stash in some of these dynasty leagues, anything like that? I mean, so, so probably not. You know, I don't think that they're going to be relevant enough. I mean, they're they're handcuff esque, but I could see them going and di- and digging into this draft and getting someone late or something like that just to get some depth and see what they have uh, in, in that player. But I mean, Samaje Pirine wasn't bad last year when he when he got the rock. So I'd probably prefer him over Travion. Uh, I liked sure. Travion a lot coming out. He was a production freak. He was a fun prospect, but I don't know if that's you know I don't know if like having this like sustained or, or great. NFL season is in the cards for him. Yeah, that's fair. All right. Um, if you could have your ideal dynasty league uh, with regard to roster, scoring, platform, et cetera, what would that look like for you? Yeah, I mean, I probably wouldn't change a whole bunch of, of what I already am experiencing in my leagues. A lot of my leagues are uh, have, have very deep starting lineups. I'm definitely a, 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 um, someone who... Uh, doesn't like to have like tons and tons of bench space. I'd rather have those guys be in the lineup because I think it benefits teams, um, you know, that have built for depth and built well that way. Um, and then, you know, I like super flex leagues. I, I don't even, I mean, I'm now only in like one dynasty league that is single quarterback at this point. I, I think super flex should just be the norm. I've tried to yes. weed them out essentially. And some of them have just folded because people just don't want to play single quarterback league. So super flex. Then I'm into tight end premium too. I think that it adds the right kind of wrinkle to, to make the position, you know, at least a little bit more important, um, you know, overall. So, I mean, I'm just, I'm pretty simple with it. I, and again, we already talked about best ball. I'm cool with going the best ball route personally, because I'm in a lot of leagues, but if I wasn't in a lot of leagues, uh, I would probably just prefer the, the end season management. With regard to the tight end premium, is there a specific scoring like 1.5, two? Like, what do you like? Uh, 1.5. I think that if you get too far, too far, you know, if you go like two or something, I'm also, the other thing I should say too, I'm, I'm in a couple of two, uh, start two tight end leagues, which is, which is interesting. Cause I think that increases, I mean, that definitely increases the, the tight end scarcity and tight end, uh, value, you know, how, how valuable the tight end position is even more. Um, you know, Kyle Pitts is legit, a legit one Oh one in a super flex start two tight end league, like legitimately. Um, and so I, I think that adds a nice little wrinkle too, but if it's tight end premium, I'm usually one and a half. Fair enough. Um, question is, who is a player that you're reaching for in dynasty drafts this offseason? I'm not sure if that was in reference to rookies or startups, but feel free to take that whichever way you want to. I'll take it in startups. Um, one guy who I've I've done a couple startups this offseason, and one guy that keeps finding my rosters is Chase Claypool. Um I just think that he has a really insane ceiling. That's really the the main reason for it. He gives me vibes of DK Metcalf last year and how we felt about Metcalf last year. The difference is you don't have that floor uh, with the quarterback, right? Because we don't know what's going to happen in Pittsburgh with Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, Ben Roethlisberger is probably done after this year, but we don't know what's going to come after Ben Roethlisberger, whereas we know who Russell Wilson is. But um, Chase Claypool showed that he is insanely good or at least has that insane ceiling I, I think that he's the best Pittsburgh wide receiver in dynasty. And that's coming from someone who was all over and loves Deontay Johnson was all over him last year. I think Chase Claypool is the guy. Um, he just has that kind of the, the, the right kind of alpha ceiling that I look for in wide receivers. I think he's a little bit underpriced right now. Uh, note that down. So I remember come our redraft. Uh, yes. Draft, so to speak. Um, 
being the the, the quote unquote actually the late round quarterback, do you feel any pressure to stick with that strategy when you go into your drafts at all? No, I don't. I mean, I think when I first did it, uh, you know, wrote the book and published the book, uh, and I would do like magazine drafts and stuff. I would always feel the need to be the last person to draft a quarterback just to prove a point. But uh, like I said earlier, you know, the the strategy is more about value, and and it's not about a game of chicken. So. I'll draft quarterbacks. You know, I've done drafts where I've taken the quarterback first because the value was there. There you go. All right. Um, it, kind of coattailing that, not counting late round quarterback. Do you have a favorite structural inefficiency inefficiency uh, you like to exploit as of late? Uh, particularly one, maybe one for dynasty and one for re- one for redraft. I mean, I, I mentioned the uh, the thing about the wide receivers. That's definitely something. But I would I would say that one of the things across both across all formats is that um people seem to so i'm all about i i think regression is everything in fantasy football i i think people think that there's this golden key way of analyzing the game through data and really what we should be looking at is regression and realizing that there are very few data points in football that are going to correlate so strongly year over year that you can only look at these you know, 10 or 11 different data points and say, okay, this is who I want to draft. And this is why I want to draft them. The the biggest efficiency, the biggest edge that you can gain over your league mates is recognizing regression across the, uh, across the board and recognizing that especially efficiency metrics uh, regress a whole lot to the mean. So, um, you know, a good example of that is, and so the other thing I want to add to that actually is when you look at ADP then, uh, you should you should be spotting players who are have inflated ADP because of that regression very clearly, right? So it could happen in your league this year, your home league, that Aaron Rodgers is that guy. He's an easy example to go to because of the touchdown rate thing that I talked about earlier, where that's most definitely going to regress. And if Aaron Rodgers is ranked as the QB3 or something in some league or QB5, whatever, you know that that's an easy fade. But at the same time, it's it's very easy to spot that regression, and then overstate that regression. And that happens all the time too. So there's this balancing act that you have to do where you know it's really just about trying to value these guys properly. But if you're recognizing regression in the right way, you can spot and you can see uh, you know, where people are, are sort of overvaluing and undervaluing players based on that regression. And, and the same goes for, you know, in dynasty, um, you know, if, uh, if, if the market, um, you know, a good... Uh, I'll just give you an example for this one. So Kadarius Tony, right? He's likely going to be a first round wide receiver. I yeah. hate him as a prospect. I, I think he's a oh, bad wow. prospect, right? And prospect. the 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 chance of him hitting my just given what he looks like in my model and and, and etc. The chance of him hitting is not very strong. And so even as a first round pick, and so I recognize that. But the difference is, so does the market. The market completely recognizes it. And so if you're in a league where they're drafting off, if you know that they're drafting off of VP rankings or, or rankings from an analytical site, which, you know, a lot of fantasy analysts are going to be numbers driven, uh, then you're not really gaining an edge by just going in and saying, I'm fading Kadarius Tony, no matter what, you know, because all those rankings are going to show that. And I, you know, you could have made the argument last year and you should have made the argument, even though he didn't do anything. I think process wise, Van Jefferson made sense when you were getting them in the fourth round in super flex drafts, just because of, of draft capital alone. Right. Um, so that, that's one. Yeah. 
at. Like, like you just have to recognize that. Like, don't be so overconfident in your abilities uh, to be able to project these guys because there's just a lot, a lot of variance in what we're doing here. Um, and to think that that you definitely, without a doubt, know more than you know what an NFL team is doing. You know, a lot of times you probably do, but there's sometimes yeah. where you don't. And if the value's there, you know, if someone's like if Kadarius Tony's a third rounder in a super flex league and he goes in the first round of the NFL draft, yeah, you should draft him. So you should still at least recognize that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, have you discovered where you're going to put your tattoo that says regression is everything yet? Man, you know what's funny? I, 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 you know, the you asked about the late round podcast and doing more episodes. I, I have like a sheet where I keep track of like uh, upcoming episodes and like ideas and stuff, just like a a brain vomit document. And uh, one of the one of the ideas that I really wanted to do as like a filler episode kind of was just called regression is everything. Because I think that like I, I can't stress this enough. There there is so much analysis that is so focused on the the stats that matter. When what we really should be focused on are the stats that don't matter that people think matter, right? Mm. If it makes sense, like like people yeah, think yeah, people think all these different statistics are so important, and they're 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 citing these numbers and saying this guy was good because of X, Y, and Z, and then you realize that that stat that they cited actually doesn't matter. And so if everyone is utilizing that stat to justify their stance, then you know that you should go the opposite direction. Good way to look at it. Um, speaking of Tony, real quick, if he doesn't get that first round draft capital in the NFL draft. If he, let's just say he goes in the second round, how far do you think he could free fall in a rookie draft? Probably quite a bit. Um, but what's interesting is that some of the flags that are part of his profile, um, you know, like an early, like early declare status, the early declare status seems to matter a lot more for first round wide receivers than any other round. And, and I think, some of that has to do with the fact that, you know, if you are an early declare, that's a signal that you're talented and you're good. Um, and so it's very, you know, if, if that, that means that you would be going in the first round, uh, you know, if you are that early, declare, it's just rarer for you to not be that. Um, and it's more frequent for these non-early declares to get drafted later and later. So I don't know how I would view, you know, if I would view him much differently if he wasn't a first rounder, because I've been sort of under the assumption that he'd go in the late first and just kind of talking off of that pivot, you know, pivoting off of that. Um, but if he doesn't go in the first, I have a feeling Tony's going to drop pretty dramatically, at least within the fantasy football world. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think we're all kind of operating on the assumption he's going to be a first round pick. But if he if that doesn't happen, I think I think you're right. It, it might get ugly. Um, all right. So with, uh, with regard to your adjusting your own rankings slash opinions on players, do you think you're more likely to react quickly or slowly uh, to news or production? So I would say slowly, I'm not uh, super, super, um, you know, quick to react. Um, but I, I will say that, uh, you know, if you, there's been studies done, you know, like, let's say pr- on the production side, there's been studies done that show that if you look at ADP through the first three or four weeks of your fantasy season, that's going to be more predictive of where players finish than where they actually rank at that point in time. So look at week two rankings, you know, through week two, weeks one and two wherever guys rank at that point is going to be less predictive where their final rankings are than just straight up ADP. But then once you hit that week three or four mark, that's when things start to flip a little bit. So keep an eye on that. Uh, That's usually how I'm reacting then as a result. I'm giving them at least a little bit of time there. I also want to say when it comes to like news, uh, I try to think in sort of like a contrarian way more. 
Um, and so, uh, you know, an example of that is, you know, if Cliff Kingsbury is coming out and saying that Chase Edmonds is going to be their workhorse, then I'm going to use that information to my advantage and sell Chase Edmonds. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, <laughs> this is from our boy, John. Uh, what are the chances of Daniel Jones being a top eight fantasy football quarterback in 2021? Give me like a, a percent there. Percent. Um, uh, 6.9%. No, I was actually maybe saying very point, nice. Very point, nice. Maybe, maybe, maybe 0.69. Uh, no, I don't actually <laughs> mind. I don't mind Jones and the idea of Jones, um, being like a late round dart throw. Uh, you know, I don't think that you're even going to have to necessarily in most redraft leagues, but, um, you know, obviously they had Galladay. Uh, they, they have great weapons there. Now he was the, per- Galladay was the perfect fit. They needed that X. Um, and so they had, Add Galladay, and we've seen we've seen Daniel. You know the allure that people thought that Daniel Jones had going into last year is that he had that rushing upside because he showed that you know his, his rookie season. Part of the problem too, and this was going into the season, is that Daniel Jones and the Giants had a really really tough schedule throughout the first half of the season. Um, so you know I, I don't I don't mind. I know it's you know half jokingly, but at the right. same time, <clears throat> at the same time, I don't think he's like that disastrous of an idea of a late round quarterback. If that makes sense. <laughs> It does. It does. It feels like they're putting a lot, but I mean, all the weapons around him. It feels like a, a prove it year for him, but yeah. uh, st- staying with the giants there, do you have a, uh, an NFC East winner for us? Oh man, probably, probably Dallas. Yeah. The 40 points think, a game. We're going for it. I think I'm going down there. That offense is going to be awesome. Yeah. I'm going to go Dallas. Michael Gallup. He is the truth. Yeah. All right. Um, moving along to uh, rookie talk here. Your rankings recently just dropped. Anyone can go find those on Number Fire and, and your Twitter page, I'm sure. Um, but there's a couple questions centered around rookie uh, stuff here. So regularly, regularly, excuse me, reference your stat score with your wide receiver model, it potentially with your running back model as well. Not sure uh, what goes into that. Is there are there any adjustments in your model for non early declares, or does that um, more subjectively when doing your rookie rankings. Yeah. So um, I'll, I'll just walk through the wide receiver model in particular, the, the running back one, you know, draft capital matters more running back running backs, not as fun to analyze either. Uh, but from a, I can at least tell you the stat score for running back. I'm looking at uh, the best seasons within these three statistical categories. And this is all based on what I did for these models is my goal. Cause I think everyone needs some sort of goal. If they're modeling, if they're looking at something like this, my goal was to be, better at predicting the first three years of fantasy football output. So fantasy points scored. Uh, my goal was to be better than draft capital itself, right? So if you were to list these guys by where they were drafted versus what my model says, uh, I wanted to be way better at predicting that first three years of output. And so uh, I I do have draft capital in these models, um, but it's on top of all of these other factors. And when that happens, it becomes like twice as good at from an R-squared perspective at predicting uh, the first three years of, of success. So at running back, I'm looking at uh, total touchdown share. So their best season in total touchdown share, their best season in reception share, and then their best season in total yards per team play. And those are all weighted accordingly uh, to, to, to get the best predictiveness uh, of the first three years of output for these players. Um, at wide receiver, uh, which is a lot more fun, uh, I have receptions per game as one, which standalone doesn't have a lot of predictive value, but in conjunction with this other stat, which is yards per team pass attempt, uh, there's a lot of signal there. Um, and then touchdown share is the last one. So it's the best season of those three statistics 
uh, that gets plugged into my model and then it spits out a, a stat score that's, you know, it takes each of these statistics and weighs them appropriately and it spits out a stat score. Now, the question of um, whether it adjusts for um, an early declare status or not, the answer is yes. So all of it doesn't for running back, doesn't care about that for running back, but for wide receiver, it absolutely does. So if a, if a wide receiver is an early or an early declare, he gets a boost in his overall uh, rating, the, the prospect score in my model, the percentile ranking. Uh, he'll get a boost for that if he's an early declare. And if he's not, uh, he won't get that boost. And then it's also, you know, some of the other things that it'll look at for running back BMI matters a decent bit. It doesn't matter nearly as much at wide receiver, but it is in there. Um, draft capital is in there. And then also I have um, where they played. Uh, so the the conference that a, a wide receiver and the school that a wide receiver played for matters doesn't seem to matter at running back. So don't worry as much about whether a running back played at a, a big, big, you know, D1 program or an SEC program. Uh, it matters more wide receiver though. So the Ashton Doolins of the world, the Michael, Michael Strons of the world, uh, oh, you know, they, they, they don't, have, I always like one of them every season in league. It's really annoying. Yeah, by Jalen Darden maybe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, but I, I actually do don't mind Jalen Darden. Sometimes they hit, you know, sometimes you get like a Kenny Galladay or a Cooper cup, but you know, a lot of times, uh, you get an Andy it, Isabella. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You get you get the Andy Isabella. Uh, but conference the the conference and team that they play for does matter. And then I do have a teammate factor. That's just a calculation of who these guys played with, whether they were NFL competition, because that does seem to have some sort of signal. That that has signal also uh, probably a little bit more at the running back position, just because if they did play with a teammate, that means there's a clear rotation. Whereas a wide receiver, they were still all on the field at the same time anyway. Okay. All right. Um, I'm actually getting a number of uh, number of feedback questions here or follow up questions here. There's a lot of guys in here that uh, do some of their own modeling themselves. So um, one of them asks, you know, he's curious about the methodology when determining. Uh, actually, I'm not sure what he's talking about here. Uh, I'll just move on. Yards per team pass attempt. Do you find that that is replacing Dominator? Uh, it seems like it's becoming more prevalent. Anything to add there? I think Dominator's a little outdated. Um, I've never, I've never used Dominator in a model um, that I've built uh, because I think you can just split up what's in Dominator and manipulate it a little bit and get something a little bit better. Um, but if you want to go really simplistic, I would say that yards per team pass attempt is a better metric than Dominator. But you know, I, I would, I would say I haven't. One thing I haven't tested that maybe I should is using breakout age based on yards per team attempt as opposed to dominator. So I still use breakout age. That's another thing that I didn't mention in the model. I still use breakout age that's based on dominator. I haven't really had time to like mess around with this and manipulate it a little bit and see what, you know, changes if I change that. Uh, and I'm using it off of 20% dominator, not 30% because 30% you just don't get a big, a big enough sample size. Um, yeah, I think yards per team attempt. It's really the thing that I love about it too is that it's so simplistic to understand, um, and so that that's why I think uh, and it's very predictive. So yeah, I would you know if you want something simple and easy, I would just run with yards per team pass attempt. All right. I was actually going to ask when you're with your wide receiver wide receiver model, is there one particular metric that you weigh more than all the others? It's yards per team pass attempt, uh, for sure. Okay. I think that the other two might be weighed fairly even. Uh, no, touchdown share is actually lower. So it's it's uh, it's ranked as yards per team attempt, then receptions per game, then touchdown share. So receptions per game in and of itself doesn't have that much predictive value. Um, but 
I think in conjunction with yards per team attempt, it sort of makes sense because yards per team attempt shows uh, extreme efficiency. Um, and it also has that market share component embedded to it, right? Because if you're seeing a lot of volume and, and whatnot, then uh, you know your your yards are going to be higher. But at the same time, yards or receptions per game shows more of the straight up volume and how often you're being targeted, even though it will fluctuate a good bit based on the offense that you were in. Um, so I think the two just work together. Like that's the reason why, because it's sort of, you know, if you were efficient, you'll be good at yards per team pass attempt. If you're seeing a lot of volume, you'll be good at, at receptions per game. Um, and so the two just kind of work together well. Makes sense. Uh, do you have any idea why is it why it's so hard to build a model for tight ends? Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the position is just hard. Um, and that well, and on top of that, too, there aren't a lot of tight ends in general that are going to be very relevant in fantasy. And so your sample that you're working off of. So with wide receiver and running back, again, I'm looking at the first three years of fantasy output. So I'm looking at every player that's been drafted since 2010 and seeing their fantasy output. And you're getting this massive sample, right? That you're working with and, and working off of where at, whereas at tight end, you know, there's going to be guys at the top, but then there's just going to be a lot of noise. You're going to get like these just random, like, uh, you know, like Cameron Jordan and like these, like, what was it? What was that? Jordan Cameron, Jordan Cameron, not Cameron Jordan. Uh, he played you know, the Browns and then he went to Miami. Yeah. You're, you're going to get these like random, like, you know, two year, uh, type guys who, you know, didn't do much, you know, outside of that, like small fraction of their career from a fantasy standpoint. Um, and so there's just going to be more variance there. And then, you know, what's different with tight end too, is that they're asked to do more like blocking and stuff. So it's a harder transition to the NFL. So how far, what's the range that you should be looking at? when you're trying to build these models and predict them, is it the first three years? Because tight ends often will break out in like year five, right? And so that that's the the difficulty of it. And then not only that, but athleticism just seems to matter more at the position. So there's like a an extra layer to that too. All right. All right. Uh, got some more modeling questions here. Uh, do you age or experience adjust in that? Regard yes. to any of your models. It sounds like you probably don't as much with running back, but go ahead. Right. Right. Yeah. So I don't as much with running back. I haven't found that age is that significant of a factor. You know, I think it matters to some degree, but um, that's more subjective. It's actually not in my model. But yeah, I, I age adjust for uh, wide receiver, but it's more so looking at breakout age and using that in conjunction with the other stats that I already talked about. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, now, obviously, this year we did not have a NFL combine. We had pro days in, in its place. Um, how do you factor? pro day numbers into your analysis. Um, how are you feeling about the consensus top eight? I'm not really sure which top eight we're talking about there, but um, pro days in general, I mean, how do you feel about that? Do you, do you Are you adjusting for any of those numbers at all? Yeah, so, you know, the thing about my model is I'm not really looking at athleticism testing much at all because I didn't get much signal. So wide receivers, I don't have a single athletic measurement aside from height and weight in my model because, and I actually talk about this on my mailbag show that's dropping tomorrow, but um, I think the reason for that is a lot of athleticism testing is sort of embedded in the player himself. What I mean by that is if a guy is going to the combine, uh, that means that he was good, right? In, in college, sure. he's, a, he's, he's one of the best players in the world, right? And he's about to enter the NFL. And so 
you're already there, there's a selection bias going on because if you were good in college, you likely had some sort of athleticism attribute, right? Like something, it's not like you were like, and the reference I made on my podcast is that you're not like some suburban dad who, you know, just got up out of bed and just like ran the 40, right? Like you've been training for this and all of these guys have been training for it. And then on top of that, the guys who are really good, very rarely are you going to see some like projected first round player run a four, seven Like it's just not going to happen, right? Some guys are going to run these like four, six fives and everyone's going to be worked up about it. But generally that correlates with how good the prospect actually is and what his production profile looks like. So um, overall, that's, that's the main reason why, you know, my numbers don't really care about the athleticism testing that much. I do think there are instances where, you know, again, the model is looking at like high level trends. It's not looking at these individual players only. And so you look at the high level trends, uh, you're not going to capture everything. So I do think that there are individual instances like Diami Brown, for instance, where, you know, you wanted him and he didn't run like a terrible 40 at his pro day, but you would have wanted him to run like, if he ran like a sub four, four, you would be feeling really good because of the type of player he is and what he does being that field stretcher, vertical guy, you know, similar to like a Will Fuller. Um, and mm-hmm. so, so in those instances, I'm looking at pro day numbers, you know, there's the, the arguments that, that happened over on, on, on Twitter and with like the Roto underworld guys over the last couple of weeks talking about adjusting for pro day. I haven't done any work on that, so I can't comment on that. I've seen people do studies that said you don't need to adjust for pro day. You know, uh, Matt Kelly and his gang say that you should add 0.05, uh, to their, to their 40 time. Um, regardless of where you land, you can be subjective with it. I think, I don't think it's that big of a deal and you should be looking at outliers more than anything else within that data. Fair enough. I mean, with regard to your modeling, are you basically just taking the, the numbers given at the pro days and plugging those in? So for running back, so the only the only athleticism measurement that I actually put into my model is for speed score at running backs to get a threshold, to hit a threshold. And that threshold is a lot lower than you would probably expect. It's really to just weed out like really not great athletes. Um mm. so, so like even like uh, you know, Devin Singletary, given his size and stuff and running as slow as he did. Um, you know, he was still fine within, within the model. It's not like, you don't have to be this Uber athlete, but I think that if you are an Uber athlete, it should at least like, you know, again, look at the outliers, look at the Antonio Gibsons, the chase Claypools, look at those guys and see if the draft capital is there. See if they have a production profile that backs it up and, and go. And by the way, go from the production profile lens first and then dig into their athletic profile. So, you know, a guy like Antonio Gibson, he had a a pretty good production profile, regardless of what people will say, because his receiving numbers were so good. Right. And so his production profile was totally fine. And then he tests out as this like Uber athlete. And then that's when you're like, Oh, like maybe he's going to be really, really good. Um, so that's sort of my, the way that I approach all of that. Uh, what specifically is that threshold that you mentioned for the running backs? Oh man. I think the speed score is like 90 or something. It's, it's not, it's not, that, not that high. Yeah, it's it's really not high. It might even be lower than ninety. It might even be like eighty-five. Like it's it's like not many running backs hit the mark who are relevant in the first place. Like you know, it's not like a like an Elijah Holyfield situation. You know, Oof. doesn't doesn't happen it, very he's often. Still running his forty. Yeah, exactly. Uh, when prospecting through data, what's the thought process behind deciding the weightings for each data point in the model? And what data points do you generally find are more indicative of future success? 
Yeah. So I, I, uh, the, the simple answer to this is just testing. Like I've tested it against the model to see what is more predictive. Um, and that's how the weights change, uh, within each statistic. And then I already mentioned, you know, the, the things that are more predictive. I, if, if I were to pinpoint one metric for running backs and wide receivers, it would be yards per team pass attempt for wide receivers and then total yards per team play for running backs. Those would be the two. Gotcha. Um, what would be your top recommendations for someone who would like to try building their own season-long projections but has zero experience in anything relevant to doing so? Well, I did a show, the late round podcast episode on this last off season. This is why I love doing these like niche topics because someone says, well, how do I do this? And I just send them a link and they can just listen to it. Um, yeah. but, but last year I did an episode with Rich Rebar, who we mentioned earlier on building projections, which should give you some, I, I don't know what episode number it is or anything, but if you want to hit me up on Twitter, I can, I can get you a link. Uh, it, it gives you an, a general outline of how to do things, but if you don't have like if you can't even get through, you know, sift through Excel, well, you might struggle a little bit doing it, like just to be a hundred with you. Like, it's just not, you know, it's, it's one of those things where like, I'm a believer that you should just be doubling down and doing the things that you know that you can do well. Right. And like doubling down on those things and, you know, getting help with the things you can. Like when I recruit people at number fire, I'm finding more people that can write basketball because I can't. Right. Um, and so, you know, if you're not like a numbers driven person, it's going to be more difficult. So I would get comfortable, you know, at a, at a very, very basic level with Excel, right? And then you can learn R, you can learn other programming languages if you want to, but just learn Excel at a baseline. Um, and then the other thing too, is that a lot of people um, sell for cheap for like five, 10 bucks, will sell a shell outline of projections that you can then go in and manipulate yourself and just change target shares, change rushing shares, that kind of thing. Um, I think Justin Freeman, uh, I can send you Justin Freeman, 18, I think on Twitter, uh, he does that. I think every single year. So he might uh, still be doing, he's a North Carolina guy. Um, let's go. He, uh, it's a great shell where you can just kind of create the projections yourself and you don't have to go through like the math part of it. I had no idea there was like a black market for Excel models. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. (laughs) Learn something every day. Uh, moving along with these rookies here, do you have any thoughts on who your most owned or least owned rookies might be out of the uh, upcoming class? Um, well, I already talked about Kadarius Tony. I don't think I'm going to have a lot of him uh, because I'm expecting his ADP to uh, to rise a bit if he if he does indeed go in the first round. Um, you know, one player who I'm definitely going to be targeting. Uh, I want to pull up my my uh rankings really quick because i i want to cite some stuff that i had written in there but one guy that i'm definitely gonna be targeting is terrace marshall um i think that i think that people are not giving him the same benefit of the doubt that they're giving jalen waddle and Devontae smith when it comes to teammate competition yes realistically terrace marshall is going to be the nfl with wide receiver teammates that were worse than the wide receiver teammates that he had at lsu the other thing too is that Marshall was a very, very highly sought after recruit. He's a good player. Um, you know, through the first four games of the 2019 season, when Joe Burrow was was starting, uh, he was outperforming. Not outperforming. He was on the same level production wise for the most part as both Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. And you say, why are you only talking about the first four games? Well, he broke his foot, 
actually only played three and a half games out of those first four games. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I think that, that Terrace Marshall, you know, and then, then you see what he did this past year, uh, where he played seven out of 10 games because he opted out in those seven games. His numbers look great uh, from a, from a statistical standpoint, strong across the board. Uh, it's just that he never really finished a season. So if you look at the season long numbers in context of his offense, they don't always look as good, but I think Terrace Marshall is very, very good. I have him as my wide receiver three right now, actually. Um, and then, uh, yeah, those are the two that I would, that would be, or no, the, another guy that I would be targeting that I'm targeting this year is Kylan Hill. Uh, I just think he's a good running back because you don't normally see the size profile that he has with the receiving profile that he has. Um, and I, I think that's the right combination that team should, tr- should strive for at the NFL level. And if he finds a spot where, you know, there's sort of an open, you know, if he goes to a place like Arizona, let's say where there's an opening, you know, for a three down back and to some degree, um, I think he could climb. He looks really good in my model. So I like Kylan Hill. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. I, I actually am glad you brought up that, uh, Marshall slash Waddle comparison there. Cause I feel like a lot of people in that pro Waddle camp cite his four game start to the 2020 season. He was just absolutely destroying, Mm-hmm. Um, you really don't hear a whole lot about Terrence Marshall's name stretch in 2019. Uh, I just thought that was interesting. Glad you brought that up. Um, but yeah, so another rookie question here. Uh, <laughs> the question is, why do you hate Travis Etienne? I think it's more like, why is Najee Harris your RB1 versus Etienne? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah I mean, I have Etienne as my RB2. I think that the main reason is I think Najee Harris has more true workhorse upside than ETN does. Cause I, I think at the end of the day, we're going to, my, my comp to ETN is, is Deandre Swift. I think that's sort of the, the, the outlook from a, per, uh, from a volume standpoint and what ETN is going to do at the next level standpoint. That's sort of like what he profiles to be that pass catcher. Whereas Najee Harris is one of the most, cause people look at Najee and they say, Oh, he's this bigger body back. He's a bruiser. It's, you know, he's comps to Steven Jackson, uh, but PFF has a great comp, I think, and Matt Forte. That's their that's their comp to Najee Harris. Um, because he's a very very underrated pass catcher. Uh, I just think Harris, you know, despite the age, I already mentioned age isn't that big of a deal in my running back stuff. Um, I, I just I, I think he's a very 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 complete back. Um, and I wouldn't be shocked if he's like a top five top seven uh selection in draft and startups next season. Are you ready for the Steelers to take him in the first round? Oh, I'm, I don't want the Steelers to take him in the first round. <laughs> do you oh, think it happens, happen. though? Might. Yeah, I might. Okay. All right. Uh, do you have a favorite diamond in the rough for this class, possibly a potential sleeper rookie? This is this is where, you know, I mentioned Kylan Hill. I, I think that I'm – I mean, I know I'm way higher on Kylan Hill than, uh, than the consensus, that's for sure. Um, I already mentioned as a super dart throw, just the dartiest of throws, Michael Strawn, my, my boy from – uh, College of Charleston. If you go, if you go watch his, if you go, if you go watch his film, it's it's literally like watching a high school football game because they they have like you know it's all like from the end zone and stuff and like all on ground level like field level they're filming it. But uh, the the guy is just a freak. And so when I'm looking at guys and I'm drafting late, I'm trying to find attributes that differentiate them in some way. And with him, he's just got this insane size profile and and athleticism profile and. You know, sometimes that hits, sometimes that works. So he's he's my like super, super dart throw. And then we already mentioned Jalen Darden. I'm going to mention Jalen Darden again. Uh, yes. Insane insane production profile from out of North Texas. Um, he's, he's going to be confined to the slot at the next level. But 
with slot guys, um, I mean, he's super quick too. He's really, really good agility. Um, but with slot guys, you just need them to find the right spot. So he just needs to find the right spot in the NFL draft. And then I will most definitely be on him, but I still think that his production profile and how he looks at my model and, and his quickness to his game, uh, someone that I'm really targeting. I dig it, man. Uh, on the flip side of that, is there anyone you think is just absolutely going to bust? I know we mentioned Tony earlier, so it doesn't necessarily have to be Tony, but anyone besides him, unless you don't yeah. think he's going to bust. I know. I think Tony's the guy when I'm looking at, at, uh, you know, the, the top part of the draft where you're talking about busts. Cause I don't want to just take like a, you know, random, like Amari Rogers or Dwayne Eskridge and, you know, these random players that are drafted later that, that would bust. Um, he's up on Amari now, dog. You know, I will say, I will say there's, I, I, I like this player, so I don't want this to be taken the wrong way because I'm still going to be drafting him. I still had him as my like wide receiver eight, but Tylen Wallace does have some bust potential. Um, and the main reason I say that is because of the injuries issues. Um, yeah. but then on, but then on top of that, uh, he didn't test very well. He's one of those guys where he didn't test all that well. And then his game is based off of like explosion, you know? Um, mm-hmm. and so that didn't line up exactly. He's not an early declare. Like there are some red flags, to his profile. I still have my wide receiver eight. I think he's the best wide receiver outside of that. Like, you know, that two to seven tier to me, you can like change guys based on landing spot. Yeah. Yeah. But then once you get to that next tier, you know, I think that he's someone that could realistically bust, but I think that he has a decent ceiling. So that's fair enough. Dig that. Um, of, of the comps that you have, I know you shared those with me the other day, the comps that you have for this incoming rookie class, which ones do you like slash dislike the most? Um, so I'll start with dislike. It's really impossible to find comps for Jalen Waddle and Rondell Moore. Um, you know, Waddle no, dude, Twitter I, I, has told me it's it's Tyreek. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, like it's really hard to find. Like to me, Waddle's like in between rugs and Tyreek Hill, but like that doesn't make any sense. It's very hard to like picture what he's exactly going to look like at the next level. Rondell Moore is even more difficult because uh, he's like the size that I was when I was in middle school. Um, and so, <laughs> so it's just really, really, I mean, clearly I didn't have the athleticism that he has, but you know, it's just really hard to find a comp for Rondell Moore. Like to me, he's my comp for him was like a Curtis Samuel meets T Y Hilton, but that doesn't, it's like, okay, like that's, it's just not that. Yeah. yeah. He's like a thick T Y Hilton or something like that. Uh, but, but we haven't even seen that really be the case with him because they utilize him so close to the line of scrimmage, which is where the Curtis Samuel comes into play. Um, but he, I think he has the upside to, you know, be vertical like T Y Hilton's been on the favorable side. I'll, I'll give you two. One of them is I think Trey Sermon sort of looks like a Chris Carson. Um, someone who didn't have good college and have good college production, bigger bodied guy who could realistically handle the load. And you know, I like Chris Carson. I think he's a good running back, but I don't. I don't think he's like you know some stud. Like I, I think he was overpaid a little bit this off season, and um, I think he's good. But I, I think that's like the direction that Trey Sermon could could go into. Um, you know, with the right spot, I, I still think he's going to be Trey Sermon's going to be after the draft the consensus RB four dynasty. Um, because I, I think teams are going to fall in love with what he did in that Big Ten championship in the semifinal. Um, and they see that he's. A, a player who has size amongst the running back class that doesn't have a lot of size and they'll like that. They'll, they'll just buy into that. So uh, Trey Sermon and Chris Carson is one comp. And then my guy, Rashad Bateman, my wide receiver two comp to him <laughs> is, is, is Keenan Allen, which is a, a common one, but that's, that's to me a pretty accurate one. 
Yeah, that's fair. I mean, honestly, it feels like this is the year of just like everyone is like undersized, no matter what the position is almost. I think that kind of plays a part into like, I mean, I've already, we've talked about Terrace Marshall and Bateman a little bit, but do you think that plays a part in those guys getting pushed up the ranks a little bit? Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. The fact that the, the size thing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I think Terrace, the reason, and look, the reason why I have Terrace Marshall and Rashad Bateman ahead of the Alabama guys in my rankings is because of that, because, you know, we, we just don't know how Devonte Smith is going to transfer. Uh, you know, the, the thing with Devonte Smith, we haven't really talked about him, but I don't. I think that if he had a flawless analytical profile, I wouldn't care at all, really, about the BMI part. Um, but the fact that he's not an early declare, and you can mm-hmm. sit here all day long and say he could have gone, you know, he could have uh, gone out last year and been a second round pick or something. Well, that, that doesn't tell us, and that doesn't really give us information. That doesn't. We don't know if that's the case. And even still, what what does that mean being a second round pick? That's still not that good. Like that's not elite. And so, um, you know, you have a red flag that he's not an early declare. Um, and, you know, I have a, a stat from that rankings uh, article that I did about these early declares. My model dates back to 2006. And since that point in time, there's been 53 wide receivers drafted in the first round. Of those 53, 13 of them played all four years in college. They weren't early declares. Of those 13 non-early declares, only five of them posted one single 1,000-yard season, and only one of them posted multiple 1,000-yard seasons, and that was Dwayne Bow. Um, so the the odds of Devonte Smith being like this unbelievable fantasy asset, yeah, I mean they're there that like he could do it. He he showed he balled out last year, but at the same time there are still red flags, which is why you then can latch onto the BMI thing a little bit and just be like. Yeah, we've never seen a wide receiver like this before. We've just never seen it. We don't know. Like, I don't know how people can be so confident that he's the clear cut wide receiver two in this class. Like, I, I just, I don't feel that way because we've never seen anything like this. I'm just trying to be objective about it. Oh, I mean, I completely agree. I mean, I, I think you have to go in acknowledging that he's just an outlier and that if he hits, you just hit on an outlier. Right. And, and I'm, and I'm okay missing out on that in some drafts. You know, if I, if, if, and again, if, if, if Terrace Marshall and Rashad Bateman don't fall into good spots, Devonte Smith will be my wide receiver too post draft. But if they fall into reasonable or good spots, then I'm going to, you know, if Terrace Marshall goes to green Bay, then he's my wide receiver too in this class. Oh, my pants just got a little tighter. <laughs> oh man. Don't tease us green Bay fans like that. It's only been like five years since we've drafted a receiver. How like perfect that. would that be though? Terrace Marshall. God. That would be incredible. Ron, I, honestly, any wide receiver like Rondell Moore would work there too, but I just, I really want Oh yeah. Because Marshall and Adams can both play everywhere. Like just imagine the the matchup nightmares there. It'd be sweet. I feel like there's a, a lot of guys that could be a solid complimentary piece to Devontae, but we'll draft none of them. So anyway, um, specifically regarding these rookie ranks, can you walk us through the process for Bateman over Marshall uh, and then Wilson over Lance, those are two that I kind of just yeah. might warrant a little more discussion. Yeah. Uh, so the Bateman over Marshall is really more about safety. I, I think Bateman has a really, really clean profile in general. It's really hard to find something wrong with him. Maybe you could argue ceiling, um, but I, I just think he has a really solid and safe profile, which is why I have him where I have him. Um, and then Marshall is, you know, I have Marshall at three. Because his profile, you know, realistically, it's not totally complete because he did miss some time and stuff. Um, but I, I sure. see the ceiling with Marshall, which is why I elevated him. So that's why I have Bateman. I just think he's a safer prospect. 
you know, regards to, with regards to Wilson and Lance, and I, I wrote this up in my article and I, I put them in the same tier. Um, and the reason I had Wilson ahead of Lance is more so, you know, if you, it, it depends on your risk tolerance, period. You know, I, I think Wilson from an analytical perspective does check every box. Um, even, even the stuff about competition usually doesn't matter at the quarterback position from stuff that I've studied and stuff that, that my colleague, Jim Sonis, who does a lot of quarterback work uh, he's found. Um, <clears throat> and he was, Wilson was his QB two in this class. Um, from, from like a real football standpoint, not a fantasy one. Um, so, you know, I, I think that what you're looking at is the argument of longevity versus the ceiling, you know, the immediate ceiling slash if this guy hits Trey Lance, if he hits, then you're looking at a potential stud, right? Um, and so for me personally, you know, you can interchange them based on team that you have in the team that you've constructed, constructed in your dynasty league. Um, so I don't really have a strong opinion either way. Uh, if Trey Lance ends up going to a, a strong spot that I feel confident in, I think he'll, he'll rise up draft boards because I think he'll rise up my rankings because realistically, um, you know, I think Lance has the opportunity to not quite make that Lamar Jackson impact on the ground, but of all the, of all the running backs and of all the, the, the quarterbacks, that was almost a Freudian slip of, of all, <laughs> of all the, of all the quarterbacks in this class. Um, you know, Trey Lance is the most rushing upside, I think, because, you know, Justin Fields is someone who has the better arm too, and he might not need to scramble as much. Um, whereas Trey Lance is more raw and we don't know exactly what that arm's going to look like. And what if it doesn't look good, um, then he'll be able to scramble and do more with his legs. So I do think his upside is insane. And in hindsight, from a ranking standpoint, I should just put him ahead of Zach Wilson. Um, but I didn't, I, I wish I would have, uh, but I, I think that, that, you know, you're looking at like your risk profile overall with both guys. That's fair. I mean, honestly, these aren't like set in stone rankings anyways. This is all pre-drive right. stuff, all subject to change. I mean, it's just, it's just a talking point I wanted to bring up. Um, real quick on that Rashad Bateman thing. His height and weight bother you at all when you got those measurements? Um, So BMI doesn't matter that much at wide receiver. Um, the reason why I'm scared of the Devontae Smith thing, again, is because we just haven't seen, I mean, he's such an outlier from a BMI standpoint. But yeah. with Rashad Bateman, he still hits, you know, thresholds that I would like these guys to hit um, from a, from a BMI and from a size standpoint. So I'm not that concerned about it. I mean, it was surprising, but I'm not that concerned about it. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, and obviously these were one QB rankings that you dropped the other day on yes. number fire, but, uh, noticed Mac Jones was not a part of these rankings. Um, but if we're talking super flex here, where, do you have any idea where you might slot him in? Um, yeah, I mean, I haven't thought about it that much. Like, you know, like, you know, gun to my head, I'm drafting my team. Like, what would I do? Quarterback is currency, and that's really what this comes down to. Um, I think he's going to be fairly landing spot dependent. Like, if he goes to San Francisco, which I still don't think is going to happen, but if he if he goes to San Francisco, um, I'll feel more confident, right? I'll I'll be more inclined to get him like in a in a super flex rookie draft, like in that weird wide receiver range, right? That two to seven, those guys, like, I think that you then are mm -hmm. slotting in like a Mac Jones in there, um, a bad landing spot. You might slot him towards the end of that. That's, that's sort of where I'm, I'm looking at things. Cause I think there's a big drop obviously after the top three running backs. And then after like Rondell Moore or Elijah Moore, whoever you have ahead of one another, um, you know, the, the top seven wide receivers. And then you obviously have this group of four quarterbacks that I think all four should be drafted ahead of Mac Jones. 
Um, I guess, you know, given that, if he lands in the right spot, probably in like that 10 to 12 range. Um, But then if he doesn't, I mean, he might end up slipping to like the early second, like we saw sometimes last year with Justin Herbert. We're thinking like 110 to like, 203 204 yeah it feels like that would be right because you're because in that range again you're 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 staring at these like good wide receivers right like they're 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 still part of that like strong tier so i think he deserves to be in that tier that's fair all right um we've talked about this a little bit as well and i don't know if either one of us could come up with an answer so we might not have much here but jalen waddle's sophomore season any explanation you can think of as to why was the way it was Actually, I have a good answer now that uh, I was on. I was on a podcast with Kevin Cole from PFF uh, two days ago, and he brought up an amazing point about that season. So, if you look at that wide receiver, so the big thing with Waddle that year is he didn't play nearly as many snaps as he played as he played his freshman season, right? So, if you look at that wide receiver room, you have Waddle, Smith, Ruggs, Judy, right? And generally speaking, you're going to be playing three wide receivers on, on the field or put, putting three wide receivers on the field. So Waddle was like the odd man out in that group. But I think the reason for that is because the other guys had more uh, in terms of college experience than he did. They were all juniors and he was a sophomore. So like I think, seniority thing. yeah, I think that's the re- that could be the reason why he didn't see as much playing time as sophomore year. It's that simple. Well, hey, that makes sense. Um, that pretty much wraps up the number of... Uh, football related questions here we got a number of other questions wanted to get to a little more lighthearted here um the initials jj you want to share what they stand for oh i will never share what this this (laughs) people will just call me by my my real first name i mean it's easy to google you can find it i'm sure (laughs) okay fair enough google Google Uh, has everything like you can like we just we just moved. We just moved, and like I can Google who my new neighbors are and see like what 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 part what political party they're affiliated to. Like it's crazy. It is kind of scary how much the internet knows. Yeah. Um, it doesn't stand for Josh Jacobs, Jack, Zacharyson, or does it? It's not. I'm not a big Josh Jacobs guy, so no. It's because he is dust. Uh, <laughs> do you have a favorite part of dad life? I mean, now my daughter, I mean, Lee, you know, Lee knows my daughter very well, but um, yeah, now my daughter that. is two and a half and she's talking a lot. And so I really, I love like the conversations and the crazy stuff that they just say and do at this point. It's just a lot of fun. I mean, everything, every part of dad life is just fun because you get to raise this human and like, like, you know, pass on experiences that you've had and talk them through um, you know, cause they're, they're learning the world for the first time and seeing things for the first time. And you're like watching that happen. It's really cool. Yeah. It's, it really is awesome to experience, especially from the uncle cheese perspective. Yeah. My, my, my daughter called Lee uncle cheese. Cause she couldn't say Lee back like a year or two ago. Probably about to be my new tag in here. Um, <laughs> yeah, everyone should call him uncle cheese. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, do you have a, uh, or here we go. I don't play Overwatch, so I'm just going to ask this question. I don't really know what it means, but what's your over Overwatch role slash hero in your peak rank? And so I'm a big Overwatch guy. My my friends and I uh, got back into it like six months ago, and we've been we play like four or five times a week now. Um, back in the day, though, when it first came out, because we were we were OGs, 
Uh, I got to being like a fringe diamond. That's going to make no sense to anyone who doesn't play Overwatch. Uh, now I'm in platinum as a healer, gold for DPS and tank. So I'm decent. I'm probably pretty average. My mains, uh, I play Lucio as healer mostly. Uh, and then I play a ton of D.Va and, and Junkrat and Soldier. It's going to make no sense to people who don't play Overwatch, by the way. Yeah, you're speaking Spanish to me. <laughs> um, are you still playing with the boys through the week? Yeah, man, all the all the high school guys. I just hop on there and we chat it up and and dominate some some noobs. <laughs> That's nice. That's a good, good way to keep up with them. Um, so moving on to smoothies here. Uh, a couple <laughs> of guys have noticed that you are a quote smoothie whore. Uh, yeah. Do you have a uh, go-to ingredient or you have a go-to smoothie? What, what's that going to be? So a couple of years ago, Denny Carter, who I, I co-host the show Living the Stream with, uh, he, I don't remember what it was. Oh, I just started making smoothies like one summer and, and having them for breakfast. And he was like, you're not going to be able to keep this up because no one keeps up drinking smoothies for breakfast. It's just, you know, it's a phase. And I told him it wasn't a phase. And so I, 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 it was like starting in June until Thanksgiving. If I had mostly been drinking smoothies every single morning, he was going to drink a white Russian, which he had a terrible experience with in the past while we did the podcast. And of course I'm very competitive. So I, I, you know, it, it, I did it throughout and, uh, I quit doing the smoothie thing, um, <clears throat> because I was having some like health, re- some acid reflux issues and stuff regardless. So I, I got off of smoothies for a while. Now I'm back on them. Cause I'm, I changed my, my lifestyle a little bit for health purposes and, uh, my, my go-to smoothie, it's a, it's a lower acid smoothie. I can't put like pineapples in it right now, but every single morning of my life I eat and, and you got to freeze. So you got to freeze the bananas. Don't just get bananas and you got to freeze, freeze them first. Yes. So I do banana, mango, spinach, flaxseed, hemp seed, and some protein powder every morning. Every day, every single day of my life. How long has this streak been going on for? Um, so I changed my diet dramatically in January because I'm now a gluten and dairy free boy. Um, and so I, I changed all that, and that was part of of that. And that happened in January, so it's been probably mid January till now, every single day. Strong. Uh, sticking with the smoothies here, do you have a favorite post lawn mowing smoothie flavor? I mean, so I will say back in the day before I became like a smoothie connoisseur within my own household, I used to go to Smoothie King all the time and they have a, a pure recharge it's called. Um, and it's filled with sugar, filled with terrible stuff, I'm sure. Um, but it's, it's good. It's got like, it gives you a little boost, you know, after a, a long day of lawn mowing, but you get a strawberry pure recharge from Smoothie King. And I, I'm, I'm not being paid to say that. Wow. That's a, that's a nice endorsement right there. You should look into that. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of mowing the lawn, are you doing that in a pair of Air Monarchs? I need to know. I'm not. I'm not. I, well, I, wear, sure. I wear, I wear, I wear, I know it's, it's bad. I really should. I wear old running shoes whenever I do. For yard the brand, running. man. Come on. I know. I know. I've actually like, thrown the idea around um to do like some sort of like picks or some sort of show of like me giving picks each week while like i'm cutting the grass and someone's filming me and i'm just like yelling the picks into a camera uh be so very I on brand but yeah I, so I I, was, we're at 12 we're gonna make this happen so lee's gonna give me give me some shoes oh. now monarchs baby <laughs> i too 
you mentioned Denny earlier. Do you wish you had as many alt accounts as Denny? No, I don't. I have some. <clears throat> um, some of them are really dumb. Uh, some of them are kind of funny. Like the one, my favorite's probably JJ's model uh, I because I reference the model all the time on my on my show. And someone made a JJ's model account where it's like a picture of me with like some like you know like a female model, like an actual model. Um, and it just tro- it trolls me all the time. It's pretty good. So good. Are they still. It's, they it's still great. It's great. And then like they'll randomly tweet. Uh, I don't know if they've done this recently, but they'll randomly tweet like a take that I had uh, and just say like, you know, my model says this and like in response to some other tweet, it just has its own brain. It's just, you know, doing its own thing. Internet's incredible. Um, do you have a favorite bit from living the stream? And there's so much, I hope that there's some living the stream truthers in here. Uh, there's so many, like, like that show has gotten to the point where like the entire show is a bit at this point. But I think my yeah. favorite one was when I don't even know how it came about. But it like slipped that that Denny is in a thruple with Mike Davis. He, it's so him, him, his wife, and Mike Davis. That that one's one that I uh, that I like to 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 think about and go back to. Has Denny put his house on the market yet? I know they have to be moving to Atlanta pretty soon. You would think, right? You would think. Yeah, you would. Oh man, I mean that's that's pretty much it, man. We ran through all the questions there. Um, I don't think we have too much else. Anything you want to talk about at all? Oh man, I mean, I'm I'm glad I got my Terrace Marshall love out there. Um, you know, there's some haters out there who don't. A lot of film people don't like Terrace Marshall. Um, so it's a little bit scary. You know, there's some some fear there, but um, I at least got that out there. I got my Kylan Hill love out there. I'm ready to be really wrong, but I, I like to uh to be confident pre-draft. That's all. That's all we can do, right? Um, but yeah, man. Um, so. For everyone out there, obviously, you can find JJ on Twitter at Late Round QB. Uh, all of his work is over at Number Fire. Uh, any other plugs you want to hit, JJ? No, that's it. I mean, I'm doing the the live stream uh, draft night if any of you are interested. So give my instant reaction to picks. Um, and then I will provide a projection right there uh, live that's going to be wildly inaccurate because it's a projection that's right there and live. But uh, it'll be a lot of fun. It's on the FanDuel YouTube channel. Okay. Well, hit me with this. Najee Harris, Pittsburgh Steelers, first round pick projection. Hit me. I mean, I got to pl- I would plug in. I haven't built my projections yet. I have to do it over the next week. Uh, I would assume, I don't know, like probably, he's probably going to be around like a, a 1,200 yards and seven and a half touchdowns on the ground. And oh, baby. I mean, he would, he would look pretty good. I just, I haven't built anything out. If I did build something out, I would just plug in some market, some, uh, some rushing shares and target shares right now and share something. I guess we'll just have to wait on that. I'm sure we'll be posting that. And obviously anyone watching live will get those. But uh, once again, thank you for coming by, man. I know it's it was a, a favor to us, but I really do appreciate it. And you taking the time to talk to us all about all these uh, fun questions, ridiculous questions, and some actually some thought, thoughtful, you know, smart questions. I, I, I knew we could do it. Uh, man, it was a lot of fun. I appreciate you guys having me. All right. That's JJ, everybody. And uh, go ahead and wrap this thing up. JJ, thanks again. I'm sure I'll talk to you soon. Guys, peace. All right, later, bud.